Welcome to Civil Discourse. This podcast will use government documents to illuminate the workings of the American government and offer context around the effects of government agencies in your everyday life. And now your hosts, Nia Rogers, public affairs librarian, and Dr. John Augenbaugh, political science professor. Morning, Augie. Morning, Nia. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I am uh, wrapping up the spring semester, so I am in uh, what faculty refer to as uh, the lower regions of grading. Notice, <laughs> I, notice I did not swear, but yes. I did make, I, I did make a, a Hades reference. Uh, <laughs> but anyways, uh, listeners, uh, 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 we have another guest uh, joining the podcast uh, this week. Uh, Dr. Patty Sopsek um, is here to talk to us about the National Zoo, okay? Um, and and, uh, and Nia and I are, are both very excited about this um, um, uh, because uh, both Nia and I uh, are uh, zoo uh, aficionados. Um, um, uh, I don't know how many zoos, Nia, you've been to. Uh, I've been to six, okay? Um, and even one overseas, but that's for a different podcast. Um, so Patty, uh, good morning and uh, uh, a pleasure to have you join us. Oh, thank you, glad to be here. Um, I'm excited. I have been to, mostly what I've been to have been roadside attraction type zoos, which are not really zoos. They're more like a guy's yard where he has like a couple <laughs> of llamas and a goat and like, because my father was, could not resist driving past one of those on whatever vacation we were on. I'm like, look kids, a crocodile zoo. And so we get out and look at, you know, six crocodiles and they called that a zoo. So I've never been to the national zoo. So I'm excited to hear about that. Um, I do want to note for the record, if it's okay with everybody, before we get started, um, we are not going to discuss the ethics of zoos. There are many, many, many sides to that question. Um, it can get quite heated and emotional, uh, and we understand that, but we are taking the tack today that the zoo is a good thing. If that is not your, your cup of tea, then we welcome you to come back for another episode, but we're going to treat the zoo in a uh, positive manner. Um, uh, knowing that there are arguments to be, honest arguments and good arguments to be made on all sides. So just wanted to throw that out there for people who might get, you know, a third of the way in this episode and realize, oh, they, they you know, they're really happy about the zoo or whatever. Um, uh, but what I'm most interested in, I have to say, is the history of the zoo, the history of the national zoo, not the history of zoos in general, because we didn't ask you to go back to like Greco-Roman Egyptian zoos of, you know, because that's, nobody can go to those. What we're trying to cover are things people can actually go to. Um, but, but before we get to the history, Patty, uh, what turns you on to zoos? I love animals. I, I just like watching animals. I love watching animals in their natural habitat. And I have to say that um, speaking of zoos, I went to the greatest zoo in the world. I went to the Galapagos Islands a couple of years ago. And you talk about a natural zoo. The animals rule in Galapagos. They can, they, no one can touch them. They are absolutely um, sacred. 
And so they are, they like take over buildings. They walk across cafeteria floors and no one can touch them. And that was the greatest experience. So that I feel like I have been to the greatest zoo of all to see them. So yeah, just a real curiosity about animals. And I always want to know what they're thinking. What are they thinking about us? So Patty, can I, can I out you? Um, Patty's a librarian for listeners who didn't already know that, which I've several, she's been here with us before, so you might already know that. But what you may not know about many librarians is that many of them have tattoos. And Patty has a rather special tattoo on her wrist, um, which is of? The, uh, the feet of the blue-footed booby. It's a rare bird that's actually, it's in the Pacific Ocean. So it is around Hawaii, but really has, um, most of the breeds are in Galapagos. And I just fell in love with him and I had his feet tattooed on my wrist. So. <laughs> well done. Yeah. So, so I, I can honestly say I've never been to any zoo where I had the thing later tattooed upon my person. So yeah. well done you, Patty. <laughs> So this, the, the, the National, National Zoo is part is of located the Smithsonian, what, right? Oh, yeah. sorry. No, sorry. no, 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 no. I was going to ask basically the same kind of question to you. So when we talk about the National Zoo, for our listeners, the National Zoo in the United States is located where? In Washington, D.C. Okay. And it is actually part of the Smithsonian Institute. So it has great, uh, great support. And, uh, and because of its, its uh, affiliation with the Smithsonian, there's a lot of wonderful aspects of that, which is that the zoo is free to go to, just like the Smithsonian museums. But it actually started, um, the first uh, zookeeper, if you will, was William Temple Hornaday. And I think the funniest thing about him was that he was actually the chief taxidermist at the Smithsonian. So they, they enlist a, a taxidermist to run a zoo of live animals. I think that's a little dicey. Uh, for some of our <laughs> listeners, a taxidermist is a person who takes a recently deceased animal, not human, right? That's different. <laughs> that's an undertaker. Um, a recently deceased animal and restores it to something like its living appearance. Uh, it, yes. it, right they're stuffed and they're it, mounted it, it, in ways that make them mostly although sideshows back in the day did taxidermy and made up animals and then sold them i mean you know sold viewing to see them as look it's an octopus bird or whatever where they just stuck two things together which is gross but <laughs> but real taxidermists few, yeah we're only a few minutes into the podcast and patty's already given us Okay, uh, 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 our title, or at least our subtitle. Okay, um, it's a little dicey. Um, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, the juxtaposition of a person who was a trained taxidermist, okay, becoming the head of our national zoo. I'm like, yeah, that would be a little dicey. Okay, but anyways. <laughs> anyways. <laughs> So yeah, he uh, he became the first head of the Department of Living Animals at the at the Smithsonian. I think they had to put the word "living" in there just to make sure he knew exactly what he was going to do. And so he actually brought 15 Northern American species to live on the National Mall in Washington. 
Um, and that would later become the National Zoological Park. And in uh, 1889, President Grover Cleveland officially signed the Act of Congress into law and created the National Zoological Park for the advancement of science and the instruction and, and recreation of the people. So um, Frank Frederick Law Olmsted, he was a premier architect of the day, and he actually designed the zoo within the Rock Creek Park in Northwest Washington, DC. And the zoo officially opened in 1891. So it's 130 years old. So that's pretty amazing that it's been around that long. Um, there's, there are parks all over that Olmsted designed. Like he was, there's one in North Carolina that he designed there. there I guess he just went around designing mostly parks and outdoor settings. I think he was some sort of like really big into um, landscape architecture and all that other kind of stuff. Uh, but so let me just get this straight in my head. It was on the mall. Yeah. I, I, yes. Can you, I, that is hilarious to me. You're just walking along and there's a herd of bison on the mall. Like, hey, you gotta start somewhere. <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess. And it would be fun to put it there now. That would be, that would certainly be interesting. Um, okay, so how many animals? How many then? animals were there? back then? 185. 185 yeah. species? Okay. 185 pretty... animals. Just oh, 185 animal. animals. Yeah. Oh, okay. It didn't specify how many species, but that when, so when it opened in 1891, they had 185 animals. <laughs> So. I noticed on your list that one of them is prairie dogs. Can I just mm -hmm. say, I think that's hilarious. Prairie dog and on the mall. Um, you know, whoop, did you hear that? What was that? Right. That I love when they do that. They're, they're adorable. But it, those, it sounds like if it's 1891 huh. and, and a lot of the animals that you have on the list here, lynx, bison, badgers, prairie dogs, foxes, deer, a lot mm -hmm. of that wouldn't have been, well, the foxes and deer would have been in the east, but the other stuff would not. So they would have brought them, I guess, from the west, which yeah. would have been really cool for Americans in the capital, right? Like who probably never went yeah. very far west at to that the, point. To the prairie, yes. They've never seen right, a prairie. To see a giant bison, <laughs> right? Like that would have been really, I don't know, that would have been really cool. Um, yeah, I agree. I, shocking. Shocking. <laughs> Yeah, you're walking along, there's a bison, and they're huge. Bison are huge. So who's yes. in charge of the National Zoo? Well, the Smithsonian owns it, um, and the, the, work, the animals are taken care of by the Department of Wildlife Health Sciences. So these are federal workers that go and take care of the animals. Um, and, and they, you know, and they also do, um, ex, you know, they also work on uh, breeding programs and also with work with endangered species. So they, these are really talented people that are just really there for it. The word is really conservation, conservation of the species and care and feeding of the species. So they do a, an amazing job of that. And they did it all through COVID. Um, they, you know, even though the zoo closed in November uh, 23rd, 2020, the, the zoo, you know, the people that work there, the Department of Wildlife Health Services came to the zoo every day and took care of the animals. They, their job did not stop. They were in essence essential workers. You can't you know, walk away and not feed a lion for, you know, for three months. I mean, you're not gonna have a lion <laughs> when you come right. back, so. Right, and if you open the cages, you'll have only a lion when you come back. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Which, you know, 
Absolutely. I was, and I was fascinated by that, Patty, um, because I, I think a lot of Americans don't understand how federal government workers get labeled essential versus non-essential, right? Um, you know, both me and I, our backgrounds in part uh, are homeland security and emergency preparedness. You know, so from our perspective, essential workers are those that are providing, if you will, for national or homeland security or respond specifically to a crisis, right? Mm -hmm. Right. What a lot of Americans don't understand is government at all levels have definitions of who are or are not essential government workers. And as you pointed out, once the government creates a program like a zoo, and you have living creatures that depend on government employees okay, to live. I like to think of them as other employees because they're also employees of the zoo, sort of. <laughs> Okay, but 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 to the yeah, well, yeah, good point. Okay, but but yeah, I mean, it can't go can ahead and say that somebody's not essential simply because they don't provide, you know, a national security purpose or a public safety purpose. Right. I mean, right. Once the government makes an affirmative obligation to provide X, then the question is, um, if if X exists, who then needs to go ahead and provide it? So when I was reading your notes, I was just like, but of course that makes sense. But a lot of us don't understand, you know, what is an essential government worker? Um, yeah. Well, um, and even within that agency, the person who takes your ticket at the front of the, of the, of the zoo probably didn't work. They were probably no. sent home. Right. Yeah, right. But the yeah. person, but the vets and the people who take care of the animals didn't are considered essential. So even within one agency, you might have partial oh, yeah. essential and partial not essential, right? A tiered system of of doing oh. that. Um, oh, yeah. And, and just and think about this. They have over twenty seven hundred animals of uh, three 390 different species so i mean that's a lot of mouths to feed that's a lot of work to be done so someone had to do it and you know again the zoo was closed and so they were still there you know because they the zoo is actually opening up again on may 21st so um you know they they have to have a zoo to have a zoo there and they have to have animals in the zoo so <laughs> someone had to take care of them so yeah well, and is it all paid? Is everyone who works at the zoo paid? Not at all. Actually, um, they have a huge volunteer corps, but since they shut down for COVID, they haven't had any volunteers. But normally, um, in a normal year, volunteers put in over 90,000 hours of, of work. So there's a ton of, of uh, volunteers. And, and you know, they, they have a few requirements. They have to be over 18. Um, they have to make a time commitment of a year. They have to actually fill out an application and get hired um, and even have some vaccinations, which is kind of interesting um, to be a volunteer. But yeah, there's a huge volunteer corps, but that all went away when, uh, when COVID hit because that they were not, they didn't want to have any you know, risk factors there. So they sent all the volunteers home and uh, they just operated off of their, you know, just their care team. So yeah, that's huge. It's a, what kind a of huge. A, 
Patty, you mentioned uh, the volunteers need to get um, or at least demonstrate proof of certain vaccinations. Uh, mm -hmm. What would be an example of a vaccination that a volunteer would have to have? Well, it doesn't really specify, but it depends on where you're going to work. So I think if you're working with exotic animals that may have come from different part, you know, different countries, there may be a need to get certain vaccinations for that. So they just said proof of certain vaccinations. So I think it really depends on where you end up working. I mean, again, if you're if you're working in the gift shop, chances are you don't need a vaccination. <laughs> but but if you're working with a, a Gila monster, you might need a special vaccination. So. <laughs> And I'm assuming that the vaccinations they're talking about protect both you and the animal, right? There, yes. it's that sort of both way kind of. Please don't yeah. give our animals some kind yeah. of cold that they then die from, because yeah, uh, <clears throat> because I know that zoo systems exchange animals and they mm -hmm. they breed animals to try to broaden the the DNA like mm -hmm. so that there's lots of strains of animals and it's not just one pair that do all the breeding or whatever which is one of the problems i i know you're going to talk about pandas later but it's a big mm -hmm. problem with the pandas because there's only so many to start with but <clears throat> also i would assume that kind of stuff that level of work is not done by volunteers that level of work is done by oh. the paid staff that are oh, yeah. ongoing and, and long-term, right? So what we're talking about with volunteers is probably fleet feeding and cleaning and the things that can be done with basic training. I'm assuming you come in and they train you how to be around the animal or not be around oh, yeah. the animal and clean up and all that other kind of stuff. So if somebody's interested in doing that, it's not super likely to, that they would put you in any sort of dangerous, you're oh, God, more no. in danger from the tourist. <laughs> probably yeah. than you are from the animals right right yeah well there then the other thing too there's also a second campus at the zoo there's the smithsonian conservation biology institute which is actually where some of this other work this you know when they think about breeding programs and also you know um helping endangered species and so they're actually located in royal uh, front royal virginia Oh. And on this land, um, they, they not only have animals, but they have, you know, trees and uh, shrubs and plants and everything else. So it's a really interesting place, but they do a lot of experiments there. They do a lot of care for endangered species. So that's kind of runs hand in hand with the zoo. And so that's where they do. And I, I'm sure that all of these decisions about, you know, moving an animal to a different location, those are probably not random decisions. I think there's a lot of thought that goes in there because they have to make sure that the animal is going to a place that can actually take care of it and, you know, have the, the right care and, and uh, the right, you know, expertise to, to hold that. So, yeah, yeah I, think I may a, want to have a tiger, but I can't really take care of one. No, no. So we know, national we know that. sending a tiger to my apartment is probably a bad idea. You know, well, tell that, that to some people. <laughs> some people don't realize this. <laughs> right. That's the other. That's the other thing is I know that some zoos come from their come to their animals from people who can no longer care for exotic animals. Mm -hmm. And uh, just as a side note, if you're a person right now who owns an exotic animal and you're thinking about giving it to a zoo, um, please do. Please do that <laughs> rather than putting it out. Right. Like because. Because that's Florida has discovered that if you if you can no longer handle your fifty foot python, 
<laughs> just throwing it out in the backyard is a terrible idea. Because apparently pythons lay lots and lots of eggs and they make lots and lots of baby pythons. And now they're all over. I mean, it's like a thing, right? Because yeah. you yeah. species because other species, because your average you know, animal from Florida doesn't, has never laid eyes on a python. And the last thing it sees before it dies is a python. And they're like, and it probably says, what was that? As it's dying. Um, not so good. But anyway, yeah. I'm sorry. I watched a documentary over uh, a bit, just a bit ago on carp in the Mississippi river. And now I'm all about like, keep your invading species someplace else. Cause that's a terrible thing. Um, so I'm oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I just wanted to, to say that you're right, that there are a lot of places that take in, um, you know, am, animals that have been, you know, they're struggling. Um, one place that I'm uh, very familiar with is Arizona in Williams, Arizona. And they are, they started as a bear refuge. So they were there to, you know, bears that were struggling in the wild. And so they took them in and they have, you know, it's just a beautiful place, but the funniest story. So I went there a couple of years ago and, uh, you know, and, you, and it's like, I don't know if you've ever heard of blind country safari, but you actually stay in your car and you drive through these areas where the animals are running wild. It's really cool. I mean, sometimes they jump on your car, not so cool, but anyway, or they stick their nose in your your window and that's not so good either um especially if they have teeth um but anyway so we're driving through there and it was so it was really a cool it's like a two mile thing and they have all northern north american animals so you know bears and bison and wolves and badgers and you know all kinds of stuff um anyway so we were talking to some of the people and we said hey you know how you know the bears look all fat i mean they, they were not aggressive at all because they were very well fed you could tell they were kind of sitting there looking at us like, hey, there's another tourist, you know, <laughs> and so we said, well, you know, you know, have you ever lost a bear? Has anyone ever left? And she goes, actually, we ended up having a bear that came in. So they go out to count the bears one day, and there's one extra. So a bear actually <laughs> snuck in to the, <laughs> the refuge. <laughs> so they're, they're pretty smart. They go, this uh, looks yeah, pretty good. This I'm, looks I'm, good. I'm heading Free over food. there. So. Free food. I can watch the tourists go by. So there's entertainment. Like, you yeah. know, I thought that was hysterical. Sometimes anyway. I wonder, I have to admit, sometimes I wonder when I'm standing in a zoo, if the animals perceive me as entertainment, you know what I mean? Like if they're yeah. looking at me like, well, that's an interesting outfit or nice purple <laughs> hair you got there. Well, I mean, and please forgive me reflecting the fact that I got a nine-year-old daughter, but you know, that's like, part of the original plot of the Madagascar movies, right? Um, for those of you who are not familiar, check out the Madagascar movies um, um, because you're talking about a zoo in New York City where the zoo animals, okay, have certain impressions of the public that comes to view them, right? Okay, um, you know, so, you know, whereas my daughter was enjoying you know, oh, hey, look at the cute little animals. Me, I was really enjoying the commentary of the animals about the public, right? I was just like, <laughs> yeah, I wonder, you know, do they have these kinds of thoughts of all of us who are just standing there being entertained by them feeding their faces or, you know, scratching <laughs> their butts, right? Or whatever the case may be, right? Right. Okay. But the idea, Patty, that a bear, okay, who was not part of the, you know, preserve, 
is it's like, yeah, I'm tired of where I'm living and the grass is greener over there and look at how fat and happy those bears are. Yeah, yes. I'm out of here, right? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. I could struggle my... in the wild. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead, Augie. <laughs> I'm voting with my feet. Okay? Exactly. I could struggle in the wild or I could go over there and hang out. Why would I stay here, right? That just doesn't make any sense at all. Uh, uh, so I'm yeah. with the bear. So, okay, so is does it cost to get into the zoo? No, actually, it's free. Um, again, part of the Smithsonian Institute. And so, you know, the, all those museums are free. So it's free to go to now in, uh, in post-COVID, as they reopen again on May 21st, they are asking people to, um, they have to actually go online and get an entry pass. They have to actually, you know, because they are, they're trying to manage how many people are coming in. And then if you drive to the zoo, you have to pay $30 for parking, but that's yeah. for the, the whole car. I mean, you know, so if you have 25 people like a clown car, then, then that's a pretty good deal. You know? That would be awesome. A little, a little like, I, I can't remember what the cars are called. Mi Miata pulls up and like 47 people get out of it. And like, holy cow. Yeah, it's um, still $30. So, but yeah, but, they're really you know, trying to manage how many people come in, but it is free, yes. And you could, but you could take the metro out there if you weren't, if you mm -hmm. didn't want to pay thirty dollars to park, right? Doesn't yep. the metro yeah. go to the zoo? It it, go, it gets close. Okay. It gets very close to the zoo, and a lot of people do that. A lot of locals end up taking the metro because they don't want to pay for parking. And but yeah, they're trying to manage. I mean, they're reopening. I mean, it's like anything else, like Disneyland or anywhere else. They're trying to manage the crowd. So they're trying to, you know, figure out how many people and they really, I don't think they have any numbers figured out yet, but they're taking reservations. So you have to have a reserve pass to get in, um, but it doesn't cost anything. Uh, and for listeners who are thinking about museums, I happened to be uh, in North Carolina recently and the North Carolina Museum of Art is doing the same thing. So you might want to consider that if you're going to a free museum or park or something like that, you may need to go to their website and make sure that you don't have to at least reserve an entry pass, which I did have to reserve for the museum because they're mm -hmm. only letting a certain number of people in at one time to help with right. distancing. Also, right. um, even though mask uh, uh, um, requirements are being relaxed, Mm -hmm. The institution you may be going to may not be relaxed. So you would also want to check that. Um, right. Just yeah. as a side note for anybody who may be traveling this summer, it's we're in that weird position or in that weird transition time where m some places still are requiring masks and still requiring distancing. And, it, you know, um, just check before you go. Can you eat at the zoo? Well, I'm, animals can eat at the zoo and you can't yeah. eat animals at the zoo. But can you eat human food at the zoo? You can, but only in designated areas. Again, you know, this is, we're talking post COVID. So everything's a little different. I mean, instead of just, you know, you can't walk around with, you know, eating now you have to eat only in designated areas. So yeah, it's a little more controlled than, than it used to be, but, but yeah, you can, they have places to eat. They have several of the restaurants are open. So that's good. I also wanted to say that um, the other thing is if you, that now the pandas, the pandas are a whole, or you, if you go to the zoo, you can't automatically go see the pandas. You actually have to request an Asia pass. 
um, to go to that specific area where the pandas are. So you not only have, so if you want to go to the zoo, you have to reserve your spot, you know, to get in, but you also have to reserve a spot to see the pandas. So they're really trying to manage, you know, to control the number of people because they don't, you know, want to get the pandas sick or anything. So, yeah. So that would be, okay. So that reflects what um, one, how popular viewing the pandas actually are, but two, is there something about the transmission of COVID and what it could do to the pandas? That's never been, that wasn't specified in this, but they did make a point if you go to the website to say, by the way, if you wanna see the pandas, you have to do this okay. extra step. Yeah, okay. so um, I think it's I think it's crowd control. I think it might be there might be some issues with you know concern about transmission, but there was nothing said explicitly about that. They just said that you need to, but I think that's true anyway. I think if you go to the zoo, you know, uh, pre-COVID, that you still had to do this extra step to see the pandas. So they're really trying to manage that that view. But the, but you have the panda cam, so you don't you don't need to. <laughs> you know, always have to go. You can do the panda camp. So, <laughs> well, and I wonder if, in part, that may also be something that the Chinese government put into place, right, as a sort of a, a control measure there as well, because they are so rare and hard to breed. Mm -hmm. Like baby pandas are a really celebrated thing because they're so unusual that they that yeah. one that you can get a baby panda and two that they live. Yeah, so, yeah, that's true. So they're you know. Um, is the zoo ADA compliant? It is. And um, so if you are planning on going to the zoo, you know, after May 21st, you when you go and get your pass, you're, you put in there that you need accommodations. And so when you show up, you have to show that you have an accommodation on your pass. And then they have all different ways of accommodating them, you know, wheelchairs and and, uh, you know, if they have documentation that's printed differently and, you know, larger. So there's a lot of accommodations that they make, but you have to specify. You, they won't automatically just, you know, you can't just walk in there and say, hey, I need this. I need that. You have to actually specify ahead of time. So that's kind of interesting. But I think, I think we're still kind of adjusting to the post-COVID. So that may change, but that's what they ask you to do now. So. You know what? In Nia, back to your uh, to your question, uh, is the National Zoo ADA compliant? I remember when the ADA was being considered by the United States Congress, and they actually um, uh, did a study before Congress uh, actually voted on the ADA as what would be the impact of ADA on you know businesses, government, etc. Um, in one of the studies that was uh, done uh, by, uh, I want to say, uh, the Office of Management and Budget was what would be the potential cost to retrofit the National Zoo to make it mm. ADA compliant? Mm. Okay. Um, oh, uh, listeners, if I can find that document, I'll, yeah, I'll, you know, uh, I'll add it to the, the uh, research guide. Because that was one of the more interesting things um, about the debate about the Americans with Disabilities Act was, um, you know, what would be the cost to make various, if you will, institutions, structures, et cetera, compliant 
Um, and, you know, places like zoos, museums, okay, where you have, you know, I mean, the idea is to get the public to come, right? right. So how, how do you go ahead and make that compliant? Okay. Right. Um, so, um, Patty, a few moments ago, you mentioned um, the panda cam. And, mm -hmm. and, 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 uh, uh, and me and I are both fascinated uh, by the fact um, uh, that they have various cameras that all you got to do is just go onto the, the, the zoo's website and you can... So how many of these cameras are we talking about? And in, 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 because I, I would think that you would get a lot of viewers for certain animals, but you know, is there any kind of logic or, you know? Yeah, that's a really good question. I don't know because they have four cams that you can watch on the website. And the most popular obviously is the Panda cam. I because mean, they're adorable. Some, they're adorable, but sometimes they, they say in the cam and I actually went on and looked at it, they, they hide. They actually are not very uh, <laughs> nice. Sometimes they go, Nino, Nino, I'm gonna hide behind the tree. So you can't see them. So they're not you know, always um, willing to, to uh, accommodate uh, when someone wants to watch them. But there's actually a lion cam, which I think would be interesting and an elephant cam. Um, and then there's a naked mole rat cam, <laughs> which I don't know who, I think that must be a political decision because this animal, <laughs> you talk about, he's, he's not the most easy on the eyes. I guess that's what I would say. And, you know, and, and we think, we think we all can find things to like about lions and we can find things to like about elephants and pandas, but the, it the, must be the, political. Well, I mean, why would you pick the naked mole rat cam? I mean, why wouldn't you pick a I, I love it. Or, or a prairie dog or something a bison i mean really something cute um i yeah. like it so i i so we would we need to find augie we need to find whose district the mole rat comes from because <laughs> that person is super powerful in congress and like you know what i want i want a cam on a mole rat i was gonna no, ask you if there were cams on, on the smithsonian board right <laughs> yeah. It, it is it is dubious I, I think we have to kind of you know think about why that's why that why that the cam is on the naked mole rats so <laughs> but but that's a good point though that that brings up a good point which is you know all of the wildlife conservation um, groups choose cute animals to be their to be their mascots right that the, the <laughs> WWF has the panda on it. Mm -hmm. And, and a lot of them choose pandas or elephants or whales, right? Something that's pretty or majestic or hardly any of them choose something like the naked mole rat, right? Or, <laughs> or something else. But those animals also need to be conserved. Like, like mm -hmm. biosphere yeah, isn't know, just the adorable animals. It's also yeah. the animals that aren't adorable, but, but contribute to the overall. Yeah, why doesn't it, you know, a wildlife group have, you know, the jackal, okay? Right. Um, yeah. or, you know, or, you know, ra in, oh, a razorback, 
right? Right. <laughs> right. Or a wolverine, one of the most violent things on the on the earth, right? They don't they're they're like, let's conserve these. Let's conserve them pretty far away from people, but let's conserve yeah. them, right? Like or a wild think of a wild boar. I mean, you know, right, yeah. yeah. The whole, ball. you know, the whole idea of that is I think is fascinating that they choose the sort of cuddly ones because those sell in the gift shop, right? Those are the those are the ones that kids or kids don't like when's the last time your daughter said to you augie daddy i like this mole rat can you give me this mole rat as a you know never right nope 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 right nope. and we've discussed that she likes sloths but she likes sloths because in so ice they age were... they're cute yeah yeah in the uh, the the movie series ice age um uh the sloth is uh um uh, a, a somewhat adorable character uh, and played very well um, uh, by an actor uh, who, um, Nia, uh, like you, I can't say his last name, John Legazano. Legaz 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 okay, thank okay, you. Very good. Thank you, Patty. <laughs> um, uh, but uh, no, you, you, you're, you're correct. Um, because but real slobs are covered in lice and moss and they're super slow and they're really... Yes. not particularly adorable they're kind of green because they're covered in moss and there's this sort of, so but they don't show you that one the one in the gift shop is adorable and cute and fuzzy and all that other kind of stuff yeah i i, I get that that zoos have to sell themselves right they have to sell the animals in some way so they and, and part of that is because visiting the zoo and the gift shop and all that other kind of stuff i'm sure helps to finance some of what oh, yeah. goes on at the Smithsonian and so you have to do the adore but I do like that there is a naked mole rat cam um I don't I'm probably not going to watch it but I like that one exists well and, and I, for those of I you did. out there who are mad because you love naked mole rats and I've just talked them down I'm sorry <laughs> but I'm I mean sorry. you're entitled think about to about what, things as much as you want but think about when the pandemic hit um I mean uh, my daughter and I, uh, when, you know, we were, you know, on the fly converting to at home uh, virtual learning, um, you know, to get her head out of a tablet, okay, um, you know, I, I would go ahead and, and she and I would watch, um, you know, cameras of animals at yeah. zoos. Okay, um, and it led her to ask a whole bunch of questions about a whole bunch of animals where <laughs> I didn't know the answers. Um, and it of was <laughs> and it was a teaching moment because I would say, okay, so let's look it up, right? Because yeah. you know I wouldn't know, right? You know I, I you know you know I, I didn't know how long it took, you know, baby condors to, you know, emerge from you know the egg, okay, and be able to actually like do things on their own um, they have big feet they, they do have big feet. they're born with huge feet and then they grow into them yes <laughs> which i but guess I, mean, I don't yeah but but those cameras okay and, and we actually did spend a little bit of time uh uh patty uh with the national zoo panda cam um hmm. and most of the time uh they did hide um, <laughs> Uh, part of it was trying to figure, you know, trying to guess where actually the pandas were. Okay. 
Yes. So yes. we alluded to this earlier, but the the National Zoo does not own the pandas, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. The pandas are on loan. Mm-hmm. Okay. They are. Yeah, it actually started way back in 1972, and the first two pandas were given to the Nixons, and they donated oh. them to the to the zoo. And so there's been obviously since 72 several iterations. As you know, pandas died, they would get more. And so um, the interesting thing is when a panda is born at the zoo. And um, as you as you mentioned earlier, a lot of them are born dead. It's very hard to have a live baby, you know, panda, um, and have it have it survive. But if they do, and they've had several now, that they have to relocate to China after they're four years old. So that's that's the the deal is you know we give you these pandas, you do all this care and feeding, but when they turn four, they have to go back to China. So um, okay, can I just say that is a terrible immigration policy? That <laughs> that panda is American. That panda should have the right to be here if it wants to be here. It's never been to China, so it's not going back. It's a it's going to a whole new country with whole new people speaking a whole new language. And yes. if we think that animals don't get used, by the way, to the cadences of language, they do. If you've, mm-hmm. if you've ever visited another country and listened to people tell their dog commands, they say it in whatever language they live and the dog responds. So dogs hear language, I'm sure pandas hear language, and I'm sure that at four, they're used to English, they're mm-hmm. used to whatever they've been listening to, and then all of a sudden they, they that's not cool. That's, but that's the agreement. That's, um, it's, it's an agreement with the China Wildlife Conservation Association. Yeah. And I guess there's no way to sneak around and like, no, no, it's, it's a pretty big deal when a, when a baby (laughs) panda is born. I mean, we we all go absolutely crazy. So, you know, and of course the political scientists in me are like, you know, Nia, you know, this is an example of, you know, you know, soft power. Okay. International relations. Um, it was a big deal. Um, uh, uh, when China uh, uh, gave uh, the the pandas uh, to the Nixons, okay, you know that was part of uh, you know Nixon reaching out to the communist Chinese government. Um, um, so yeah, I mean, and you know, and it has political overtones. I mean, this that would be a major affront to the Chinese people and government. If a baby panda was born here in the United States and at four years old, we said, yeah, sorry, we're keeping it. Yeah. <laughs> we, it it's asked for sanctuary and it's yeah. here. And we're not, we're not sending it out. We're not sending it to China. I, I can imagine that that would stop the entire rest of the program. Like whatever pandas we had in the country at that point would be the only pandas we would ever see again because yeah i'm sure i'm sure that lots of feathers would get ruffled or lots of fur would get rubbed and that would not be uh, that would (laughs) not be acceptable yeah but But here's something but something else i want to share is that the two pandas that are there now and i can't pronounce their names may zine and tian tian they're actually on loan and they have to go back in 2023 to china so will more Will more pandas, or is that up in the air? 
That's the agreement is only through 2023. Oh yep. no. Yeah. So if so. we don't if we don't fly right, we might not get more pandas. That's yeah. right. Yeah, oh, we may be, okay. We, then there's there's Augie's diplomacy. Yeah, well, yeah. we may we may be pandalas. Yep. Oh no. No, yep. that's really sad because well, and I'm assuming that part of all of that is and not to be ugly, but the pandas draw in a lot of people and make a lot of money, right? Like, yeah. because yeah. they sell, there's a lot of things that go along with that. So there's a lot of layers of diplomacy there that would need to be managed. Um, <clears throat> oh my goodness. Okay, well, I need to write a letter to President Biden and say, be nice to China. We're, <laughs> I think he already sure. is. Okay. We need to make I, I think, sure they, we're I think not... they have him in the bag. I, I just <laughs> um, on the on the panda yeah. on the panda issue. Good. Okay. So wait, 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 wait but, but 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 just stop for a moment. Imagine the conversation that would go on in the Oval Office. Okay, from the president's, you know, uh, foreign affairs team. Okay, the director of the CIA, the national <laughs> security director. Okay, Mr. President, we need to talk about the pandas. <laughs> right. What what pandas? The pandas at the zoo. We the need to make sure. Just, you know, we know, you know, you've been dealing with the pandemic. Okay, the 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 malware uh, attack on our uh, petroleum pipeline. Okay, a sluggish economy, yada, yada, yada. But we just need to make you aware that before your term is up, we have the panda issue, okay? Yeah, yeah. we need to keep that, we need to keep that on the list. Can you imagine, yeah. like, really, we need to keep this on the list? Yes, sir, because we cannot be without pandas. I mean, no, you, wanna talk, you wanna talk about a West Wing episode, okay? <laughs> That the would be panda a good one. issue. That would be a good. That would be a good one. Also, you know, sir, if we don't give them back in 2023, we're going to have a war. So, yeah. can you imagine the Great Panda War of yeah. 2023, where, like, oh my goodness, that can't happen. I, if I was president, I would not want that on my watch. No. Um, so, you. You you made a note in your notes, and, and I just adore it because it's so very you. Um, for <laughs> listeners who don't know, uh, uh, Patty is um, a, a collections librarian, and that's a very specific kind of librarian. They sort of decide what goes into the library. Um, and so what, what books are on the shelf, what things we buy, right? How we spend our money, because we only have a certain amount of money and we have to be careful to, to try to get as broad a, um, a treatment of a subject as possible, right? So the lab, there are collections librarians who spend a lot of time working on that. Like, well, that's a lot of time, their whole job. Their, their whole job is that. So uh, I noticed that, that you had a, that you had a comment in here about curating the animals, which I thought, how very patty, um, that to ask yourself the question of how do they decide which animals go into the zoo, right? Like that's a, that's an interesting question. And, and I don't know if there's even an answer. Is there even an answer to that question? 
There, there really isn't. I mean, they're guided by a strategic plan, you know, and, and, okay. and their real focus is conservation and saving endangered species. So there, I mean, so there's a interest in kind of, you know, when those kinds of animals become available, they are probably at the top of the list that we're going to take them in. And, and wow. you know, because we want to conserve them, we want to make sure that they breed and that they grow and that the population doesn't get decimated. But there really isn't like a, I couldn't find like a list of, you know, top 10, you know, animals that we <laughs> want to bring into the zoo, you know, I mean, like, you know, who's those popular animal we want to bring in, but, but I think a lot of it is, I mean, it's opportunity. I mean, when, you know, they find certain things or someone brings it to their attention, hey, we have this particular animal or breed or, you know, it's endangered and we have this opportunity, but that, that would be, that would be something that they would consider, but it's also, it's taken through this kind of strategic plan and how they, look at, you know, um, what they want to provide, you know, as part of the zoo, but the real issue, I mean, their real focus because, and I think it's because it's a Smithsonian institution is conservation. It really is about conserving the, you know, the breeds and the endangered species and, and really being uh, just excellent caretakers of the animals. And so I think that's really their driving force um, of who they, what they bring into the, to the zoo and, um, what you know and and then you know we know that things die right i mean right. famous animals have died in zoos and we're all very depressed it's very sad you know when some famous animal dies and and so they they want to avoid that they don't want to you know they don't want to have any incidents that they can you know with with what they do with these animals so it's it's an interesting question but i don't think there's a real good answer well I w i'm intrigued by the idea of providence because i know that you as a collections librarian, if somebody came to you and they said, I just happen to have this Gutenberg Bible that I'd like to sell the library, you'd be like, really? Where'd you get that Gutenberg Bible? And they'd say, I found it on a doorstep, right? Like, and then you would say, uh, excuse me, I have to make a brief phone call to the police to come get you for having stolen a Gutenberg Bible, right? right. So part of, I assume, zoos don't deal in black market like if suddenly somebody called the national zoo and said hey man i got a panda you want it like they would say <laughs> oh heck no we don't want your panda because it didn't well, yeah. legitimate channels right so right right i'm assuming right. That, that part of what limits their their conservation is that they have to know that the animal came to them in a in an honest way as opposed to because i know around the world black market animal dealings oh, are huge, huge right that, yeah. that people trade in animals all the time that shouldn't be traded in partly for endangered animals but also partly for dangerous animals right you shouldn't you shouldn't just be trading in certain animals so yeah. i'm assuming that also limits their well yeah their ability to of, get a hold of something yeah and think about like any art museum like vmfa right you know, someone comes to them and says, I have a Picasso, right? <laughs> you know, you know come, come to my doorstep and look at my Picasso. Well, there, it's the same kind of scrutiny. I mean, like you said, the word providence, I think is a really good word because like any museum, like any, you know, they have a standard where it has to be, they have to be able to kind of show providence and where they got this and, you know, who had it because yeah, there's always that fear or that, you know, issue of is this coming to us in a way that isn't, you know, legitimate or legal or safe or whatever. So yeah, I would, I would 
you know, the way they do it is probably very much like any kind of museum or so any institution that has fine art. I mean, the Smithsonian, right? I mean, they're not going to take any, you know, just anything can't show up in the Smithsonian. They have, you know, ways of curating and, and checking the provenance. <laughs> I want to put this in the Smithsonian. So right, so you don't have stolen stuff in there that somebody was walking by and says, hey, that's mine. Oh, that's mine. Um, <laughs> well, and we know that in the art world, things have been stolen and sold and then had to be returned to the original owner. And yep. whoever bought it is just out the money because you bought a stolen right. thing. And, yeah. you know. So, so if any of our students are thinking about somehow going to China and picking up a panda out of the wild and bringing it back to the National Zoo, please don't. Please don't. Yes. Please don't, Probably, because they will. Yeah. They will say to you, "Oh my goodness, that's yeah. not a good thing." They'll take it in, but then you'll go to jail, and the yeah. panda will go back to China. So, maybe, maybe yeah. don't do that. Also, can I make a side note for our listeners who might want to think about crawling over the fence and getting their picture taken with a jaguar or oh. some other animal? Please don't. Don't do it. Please don't for two reasons. One, you are going to get legitimately mauled and it will be your fault, right? And that's not good. But also they will put the animal down in many cases. Yeah. Um, and that's not fair to the animal. You walked mm -hmm. into its pen. It did what animals do. Yep. And now it's getting punished for that. But fortunately, the, the jaguar that I mentioned did not get put down. Um, but that was only through massive public intervention on that in that case, because a woman climbed over the fence and wanted to have her selfie with a jaguar. And that's just not like really people let's not let's not do that let's not engage in climbing over any fences so we'd like to just put that out there as a warning yeah. well, just, and just as a side note i mean that's one of the, the the most deaths in national parks these days are for people taking selfies and falling off cliffs just a <laughs> side note seriously yeah yeah <laughs> well Don't i mean it, 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 and i think one of the one of the great values of zoos, and, and I've long believed this, is um, it forces humans to understand um, that uh, that not everything is about them, right? Mm. So, you know, don't hop the fence to go ahead and get a great selfie, right? because it isn't about you okay mm -hmm. um you know one of the purposes of zoos is to understand that we are sharing this earth with other creatures okay who are beautiful or depending on your perspective okay this is in you know patty's notes okay <laughs> they may be ugly to you but to somebody else they're just utterly fascinating and beautiful creatures right Right. Um, so, you know, it, it's kind of sort of like, you know, we talked about this in, in a previous podcast episode, um, you know, about parks, right? You know, you know, Patty, you just mentioned, you know, deaths that occur at, you know, national parks because people are taking, you know, selfies and they fall off a cliff, right? Okay, understand that, you know, when you're on this big huge mountain okay you're inconsequential 
Right. Right. The okay. cliff does not care. Yeah, the cliff doesn't care. The cliff was there before you. It will be there. It, it after will clearly you. be there after you. After you, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, right. So to 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 understand that it's not necessarily always about you, right? right. Okay. Um, right. You know, exactly. You know the 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 mama the mama elephant that's taking care of the baby elephant. Okay, doesn't care about you. Okay. Um, and whether or not you're staring at them, okay, yeah. is irrelevant. And okay? if you get up close to her, or to her baby, she will rightfully stomp you into the ground yes. because she is protecting her baby just like if an elephant got too close to your baby, you yes. would snatch up your baby and protect it. Like, unless you're the world's worst parent, you <laughs> would... <laughs> You know what I mean? Like you, you guys are both parents, so you would know what I mean. You're like you would protect your kids, yeah, because that's what yeah. you do, and that's what they're doing. It's that's the natural instinct for every animal is to protect its offspring. So, I yeah, I the the other um, thing that I think is important to side note mention, well, not side note to mention here is the cost of something like the international breeding program that they do, right? Where they, don't they have agreements with other institutions? In countries, yeah. They have one now with uh, Japan with the giant um, salamander, Japanese giant salamanders, and they're given to the zoo and, and they're doing some long-term breeding um, with those creatures. So yeah, they have different things going on at different times. The cost of that is is, in my opinion, worth it because we are losing species by the minute. I mean, we're just, because of the way humans um, use the earth or maneuver in the earth, but also just natural, naturally animals die out. And, and so us trying to help that not happen seems like it's really worth to me worth the effort um i saw in your in your notes about the salamander and i thought i'm not a particularly huge fan of salamanders but <laughs> i'm sure that salamanders are important not only to people who love salamanders but also to the ecosystem certain, right yeah. certain ecosystem yeah. and yeah. so mm -hmm. hence why uh, if you decide you want to go to joshua national park please don't knock over the trees Hello, they're part of the ecosystem, right? And that's, again, part of the plant thing of zoos, right? Like a lot of times in zoos, you'll see plants that are being bred or protected in the zoo as well as part of the foliage or whatever that the animal needs. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And and all that, uh, that kind of stuff. But, but is there a, you said earlier, there was a special plant collection Right. That's part of actually, the, yeah, the part Smithsonian, of yeah, the Smithsonian Conservation Biology Institute in Front Royal Virginia has actually they do on this land have a number of they have like 180 species of trees. They have 850 species of woody shrubs. They have, <laughs> which you know, I thought there were like six kinds of shrubs. So yeah, those what yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, and and they actually have 36 different species of bamboo. So. Whoa, I mean, okay. Who, who knew? Whoa. Who knew? Okay, <laughs> warning, warning, warning to our listeners. Do not 
plant bamboo in your yard. Apparently bamboo is an invasive species that will take over not only your yard, but all the yards within about a hundred mile radius of your home (laughs) and your neighbors will hate you. There is my PSA because we've had several people in the library. I said one day, I'd love to plant bamboo in my yard, which was a huge mistake because (laughs) apparently that is a terrible species that will take over um oh, like, hey, hey, like hey, kudzu hey. right things that weren't hey, meant hey. to be where they are go out and get out of hand this yeah. was a few years ago at a different house that i was that i'm currently living in i went to home depot okay and i said you know hey uh how easy how easy difficult is it to go ahead and plant bamboo okay um, and like five people at the Home Depot in their <laughs> lawn and garden section, okay, like came to me in mass. Pounced okay? on you. Okay, and we're like, uh, sir, we don't recommend anybody do that in the Richmond area. And I was just like, uh, did I say something wrong? Is there like, you know, is there a state law against this? And they were just like, um, it will destroy your yard, your neighbor's yard, okay? And I was just like, I did not know this. And they're like, may we recommend some less, in, <laughs> less invasive? And I said, no, 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 no. Let's talk about shrubs. And, and then, then Mia, they were like, well, we have well over like 20 different types of shrubs. And I'm like, there's over 20 different <laughs> I'm There's like 850. <laughs> yeah, I was just like, what are you talking about? Right? Yeah. And they're that's like, that's amazing. Yes. Yeah. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. No. Well, and in, in Patty's notes for people who can't read them, um, there are 40 species of grass, which I think is hilarious because I'm like grass, you know, green yeah, stuff, yeah. right? Like yeah. and and that's amazing to me and and of course biologists who are listening to this are just banging their heads against desks going of course there's 40 species there's way more than that or whatever but um but yeah i guess the thing with uh bamboo is they make really long roots that run under stuff so you plant a bamboo in one spot and you're like ah my bamboo and then behind you about 40 feet it pops up and you're like oh more bamboo and then pretty soon it's like pop 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 and it's all over the neighborhood um it's, and ter- really- yeah, it's, it, it's terrible for house foundations um, um yep. it will just, and driveways it will, yeah it will destroy the uh, root systems for uh trees um and, and oh, plumbing yeah. oh, and plumbing. oh <laughs> yep don't forget about the plumbing um so so okay so if you're not living in the on the east coast right um Mm -hmm. and you're not living in the or you're not living in the dc area you can look at the cams and get Mm -hmm. animals there but there are other zoos of note in in the world um as augie said in other countries so if you're listening to us from other countries check out your own national zoo you probably have one or something (laughs) along those lines if if you don't have a national zoo you have probably a well-known zoo Um, Mm -hmm. but you mentioned barizona which i think is great for the name right barizona um are are there any other that you want to throw a mention out to before we before we wrap up i i looked at um you know where in the 
scheme of things where the National Zoo came in on the world and it came in 17th place of the best zoos in the world. So that's pretty good when you're thinking about the world. So that's pretty good. And then it's the sixth best zoo in the USA. So I think that's kind of interesting. But yeah, huh. Arizona is was on that list. Uh, Gatorland, which is something that would never come to my mind in <laughs> Florida. Um, you know, they, they have a huge park there that, you know, to, that preserves uh, crocodiles and alligators. And then, of course, you know, San Diego. They, they do is, shows. Mm-hmm. Gatorland does shows, by the way, in case you yeah. are. Um, yeah. Fascinating wrestling shows and all kinds of stuff like that. If you want to see people yeah. wrestling wrestle alligators yeah. anyway yeah. i'm sorry you were saying san diego. no no i was just gonna san diego has the animal wild uh, the wild animal park which is kind of where you can take your car and you or you know a train and you can kind of travel through the different terrains and then they mentioned a lot of mentioned the sea world and we have to kind of remember that there's also these aquariums and places that oh, they, yeah. you know that marine animals yeah so a lot of cities in baltimore apparently has a really nice aquarium as well if you're right. here on the east coast yeah so, so, um, so lots of good choices. I mean, if you love animals, I mean, there's somewhere, there's something for everybody. And, and even, you know, the, the, the rat, the, uh, what was it? The <laughs> naked, <laughs> the naked mole rat. Rats, so yes. Can we end on one of my favorite ever memories from my childhood, which is mutual of Omaha's wild kingdom. Okay. Where Jim, <laughs> the guy, Jim, who was out in the wild. So Marlon Perkins was the host of this show for young people who have never heard what I'm talking about. Marlon Perkins <laughs> was this older guy who wore a suit and he had gray hair and and he would say, you know, and he would hold he would show a map and then he would show where the animal was on the map, right? Here is the I don't know, here's the lion in the Serengeti, right? And and then and he would show you where that was. And then he would say, "Now Jim is going to show us the lion in its natural habitat and Jim I don't remember what Jim's last name was mm-hmm. um, unfortunately he worked at the at the San Diego Zoo after he was no longer on this show and then they would show this film of Jim being half eaten by a lion trying to like wrestle it so that he could show you its head or its mane or its whatever you know you know what I mean and and he's like are you okay Jim and Jim's like yeah I'm fine and it was this great but it was when I was a kid, it was this sort of wonderful um, view into into part of what I didn't know then, but what I know now is part of what they were doing was conservation. That was part of what they were sort of, that was the non-business side of Mutual of Omaha, which is an insurance company. Um, but anyway, that guy went on to do to be in the San Diego Zoo and he would go into Hollywood onto the Tonight Show or other shows and bring animals. And so you still see that some on, I think Jimmy Kimmel still does it occasionally in some of the other shows. So you can find some of those on YouTube if you want to see some of those animals being interacted with because now other people from the San Diego Zoo also do that, bring animals. And Steve Irwin used to do that. He would go on shows and bring animals, that kind of thing. Um, I say that if you're looking for a natural reaction from some of the hosts because sometimes they would hand them an animal and they clearly (laughs) did not want to be holding this naked mole rat or whatever it is. They're like, "Mm, can I hand this back at any moment? And the person person who works it from the zoo is saying, 
look, he's just nibbling on you because he loves you or whatever. And the host is like, oh, I don't want to do this anymore. Um, but a lot yeah, of that is on YouTube. Uh, for me, the best reactions, uh, and again, I'm dating myself here, Johnny Carson. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, oh, that's what I was thinking of. Monkeys yes. on his head, the little spider monkey on his head is one of the most famous yeah, um, I mean, of his, where he's just I mean, be, sitting there with the spider Car monkey. <laughs> yeah, because Carson filmed in uh, L.A., um, so you'd always have people up from the San Diego Zoo, right? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it, and Johnny Carson was known for, you know, always, you know, the king of cool, right? I mean, he was the king of late night. But, you know, the, 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 the rep from the San Diego Zoo would go ahead and bring <laughs> these animals, right? And all of a sudden, Johnny Carson would just be losing it. Okay. Yeah, it was okay. Great. And, and, the, and the rep from the San Diego Zoo would be like, Okay, but Johnny, there's, you know, you know, you know, like Nia just mentioned, the, the animal obviously loves you. And Johnny right. Carson is just like, can we please go to commercial? Right? Oh, yeah. For the, for the love of God, get this animal away from my neck. Okay, that seems to be burrowing a hole there. Right? Okay. But, yeah. but the reason I bring it up is because it was educational. Yeah, part yeah. of what Mutual of Omaha that was on Sunday evenings and that was educational. It came on yep. before um, another show that was meant for children, which was uh, Disney Wide World of No, something of Disney, and they were intended to be educational. Same with those late night spots. What you'll find is while the host is holding on to it, the the curator is actually talking about the animal. They're talking mm -hmm. about where it comes from and and what its characteristics are. It was very educational. So that's the other thing I wanted to throw out there about zoos is that the, they tend to, the, the tendency if you go on one of the tours is that there is an educational component. Somebody is going to talk to you about the history of the animal and how it came to be at the zoo, but also what its natural habitat is and what it, you know, all of those kinds of things. So um, they can be marvelous opportunities for children to learn about where animals live and how they live. Well, yeah, before COVID, I mean, kids used to take field trips to zoos. I right. mean, we, when I was a kid, we did that all the time. We went, you know, right. to the local zoos and stuff. And that was part of it was just to get an exposure to different animals and learn something. And it was, it was great. I mean, I loved it. So yeah, there's which, lots which of, lots of opportunity. Exactly. It goes back to Augie's point of you're not alone on the planet and you have to conserve, you have to think about the other animals that are here as well. Um, yes. So, so my, thank my, you so my, much. I wanted to say one final story is when I was in Galapagos, the animals ruled. So we're standing on this rock and this iguana who runs the joint comes over and he actually steps over my boot. And it's like, I couldn't, I, I mean, I just, and you, you just have to sit there and the guy is like, he's in charge and he's just like strolling <laughs> along. And it's like, yeah, I get that. You're in charge. Okay. So very humbling. So yes. <laughs> cool. Thank you so much, Patty, for coming and visiting with us today and talking about the zoo. This was great. I loved it. Loved, loved the conversation. So thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I, um, I really appreciate uh, all the knowledge. Uh, but again, the enthusiasm, um, um, uh, it's quite obvious just listening to you uh, how, uh, uh, how important uh, going to zoos and what they've meant to you. Um, Absolutely. And, uh, uh, I can't speak for Nia about this, but definitely for me, 
anybody who's smart and enthusiastic about, you know, a passion in their life, um, uh, always have a, a place on our podcast. So yep. anytime you want to, you want to come back and uh, uh, share your knowledge and your enthusiasm uh, about something else, um, um, please do so. Um, yep. Okay. Thank you. Thank Appreciate you so. that. We'd love to have you. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Thanks so much. Thank you. You've been listening to Civil Discourse, brought to you by VCU Libraries. Opinions expressed are solely the speaker's own and do not reflect the views or opinions of VCU or VCU Libraries. Special thanks to the Workshop for Technical Assistance. Music by Isaac Hobson. Find more information at guides.library.vcu.edu discourse. As always, no documents were harmed in the making of this podcast.